This is Dennis Romani. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda. Our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Uh, and our guests today are Naya Swami's Jyotish and Devi. Uh, they uh, are the spiritual directors of Ananda, a global movement of spiritual communities. Uh, based on the teachings of Parmar Mahansa Yogananda, Ananda will celebrate its 50th anniversary in 2019. Their latest book, Touch of Joy. Thank you so much, very much <clears throat> for taking the time to come on with us today. It's a real joy to be on the show with you today. Thank you for having us, Dennis. Um, Jyotish and Davy, we're delighted to have you. Uh, this is part of a series we're doing about the life and work of Paramahansa Yogananda. And as the leaders of the Ananda community, it's, it's really a delight to have you. Let's begin, if you would, uh, each of you can tell us your uh, story of how you came to be associated with Yogananda's work, how you discovered it, and um, what led to the, the work you're doing. Okay, well, I'll start, Phil. Um, I was fresh out of college. I had graduated from University of Minnesota, where I had studied psychology. I was always interested in consciousness, and I had studied psychology in the hopes of really being able to understand human consciousness better, but certainly in the early 1960s when I was studying at the university, the answers I was looking for just weren't there in, in psychology. And so I left that world a little bit disappointed, and I moved the day of my graduation, I moved to San Francisco. And while there, I was began looking into alternate religions because religion had never fulfilled anything for me either. And during that time, I ran into the book Autobiography of a Yogi, and it absolutely changed my life. Now, I've heard this story similarly told in, with variations by really hundreds of people, how that book really was a turning point for them. And it absolutely was for me because it showed the scope and depth of the potential of our consciousness and very soon after that, I met a direct disciple of Yogananda, Swami Kriyananda, and began studying with him, and it really set the course of my life. And I'll jump in here as well. I think for me, what drew me particularly, I was, from being a young person, I was always very keenly aware of suffering, human suffering. I, it's just something that I saw. I saw it around me, even though I was from, I had a happy, balanced family. And um, it, it just, I was aware of that. And then I found Autobiography of a Yogi. And it was like all the answers were there, that this world is really a balance of, of light and dark, of pain and pleasure. And in the world as it, we know it, the answers, the way out of suffering won't be found, but the way is to go within and to find the joy of your own being. And as I began learning and practicing his teachings, I just thought, this really is what can help people out of suffering. And I spent uh, the rest of my life 
uh, practicing and sharing these teachings, Yogananda's teachings around the world. <clears throat> I wanted to ask, um, I read in either or the biography of a yogi or some other publication put out by uh, Yogananda or one of his organizations, that toward the end of his life, especially during that period of time, he was speaking about these communities, which I assume Ananda is based on, where people um, uh, lived uh, and worked and did whatever they did, but the priority was self-realization and those practices that led to self-realization. And I'm wondering, the communities that you have, how many, where are they, and who lives there? Are they totally isolated like monasteries, or are they integrated into a larger, uh, diverse community? Well, we have uh, a number of communities around the world. The first one that we founded is in Northern California in the Sierra foothills, and that's on a large piece of land of over 700 acres, and it's really a village, um, about 250 people, uh, and everything that's needed, schools and businesses and uh, all, all sorts of the support systems. But if you start with the question of these teachings can lead to self-realization, then what is the ideal environment that will allow that process to take place because it isn't just by reading, it has to be through daily practice. So the communities, Yogananda was very, very keen on these communities called them World Brotherhood Colonies, and he even tried to start one himself in Encinitas, but it was too early in the cycle. It was close after World War II, and people weren't ready for it yet. Um, but he was very keen on these as kind of living laboratories of the practice of these teachings to show what what can actually happen with them, what kind of life. And having lived in them for over 50 years now, um, I, can, I can attest to the fact that there is hardly a better possible way of life than this. But they are not uh, done in isolation. I'll let Davy answer that. Yeah, there we in most of our communities we have major residential communities in uh, Seattle, Washington, Portland, Oregon, Sacramento, California, Palo Alto, California, and then our major community in America is it called Ananda Village. And if your listeners are interested, you can go to Ananda. Dot, that's A-N-A-N-D-A dot O-R-G dot org. And you can find a wealth of information. We also have community, a beautiful international community in um, Assisi, Italy, and ones are starting in India. And then we have about 150 meditation groups throughout the world. But no, they're not closed monastic environments. They are really to demonstrate uh, spirituality in, in the practical daily life. So we have many, many families and children, and as Tish was saying, businesses. But they're also, we are open to people joining. We have uh, many, many opportunities to share to uh, the teachings, to stay in any of the communities on a temporary basis. But we're trying to create a model that is so needed in the times in which we live of inclusiveness, of a sense of every race, every creed, every religion, every lifestyle, if 
uh, that people choose, if they, whatever you, your orientation in life, if your core is a spiritual value based on the teachings of Yogananda, then, you know, it's well, it embraces everyone. And um, it, it's just really as we travel around the world and we see the isolation and the loneliness and the depression that people face, anxiety, we just, we know how helpful such communities and centers are around the world, how much hope they give people. Mm-hmm. Um, each of you uh, mentioned Swami Kriyananda, who was your teacher and the founder of uh, the Ananda communities. Uh, tell us about him. He was a direct disciple of Yogananda's. Um, tell us uh, his story, if you could, briefly, and uh, how it was that he ended up uh, doing the kind of work he did. Yes, you, um he was uh, intensely interested in trying to find answers to questions from uh, early, early on in his um, in this incarnation. And he searched in the sciences. He searched in the arts. He he's a kind of a genius consciousness. He spoke nine languages, lectured in seven of them, wrote. 150 books, 450 pieces of music, so extremely dynamic and bright consciousness. And he was searching and searching for answers that he couldn't find until he too in New York in 1948 read Autobiography of a Yogi. And this was during the time that Yogananda was still alive. And he ended up, after reading that for three days, getting on the next available bus and taking it across country and meeting uh, Yogananda in 1948 in September and immediately at that first meeting asked to become his disciple and was accepted as a monastic member of uh, the organization. So he was with the Yogananda, which was virtually unprecedented for someone to be accepted that quickly, especially at that time in Yogananda's life. So uh, Kriyananda was with him for the last three and a half years of his life until Yogananda's passing. Then he was uh, with the organization SRF. Uh, up until 1962, he was actually the vice president of that organization. And then there came a parting of ways and uh, he was uh, he went out on his own after uh, a dispute with the uh, powers to be one might say in SRF that we don't need to go into now i met him about 4 years after that in san francisco and by that time he had begun to uh, teach these teachings uh, giving classes in meditation and yoga postures, and then soon founded uh, the first of the Ananda communities. Uh, I, I wanted to ask, uh, the, the focus of uh, what uh, you teach uh, and the Ananda communities is, uh, I, my understanding again, is self-realization. How do you define self-realization, and how does one know experientially if one attains that state? Okay, that's a good question. Uh, I'll I'll bounce back to you how Yogananda defined self-realization, quoting, 
He said, self-realization is the knowing in all parts of body, mind, and soul that we are one with the creator of the universe, with God, that we don't have to pray that it come to us. We just have to increase our knowing. So, you know, if we kind of parse that out, what is he saying there? He's saying that it's an awareness of our higher self, and in, in that awareness of our higher self, an, an understanding that we are part of all creation, part of all humanity, part of all nature, part of the universe. And so how do we know if we've achieved that? Well, it's a, for most people, it's a long process, and it involves meditation. It in, uh, involves understanding a different kind of uh, philosophy, life philosophy that we have many incarnations, that the uh, process of each incarnation is to transcend egoic limitations. And bit by bit, we find ourselves freer and freer from self-limiting concepts. Uh, we've been talking about Kriyananda. He said the ego is a bundle of self-definitions, which I, I love that that explanation. And so if we think of the ego, I'm this, I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm young, I'm old, I'm a lawyer, I'm a teacher, mm -hmm. and little by little we, we let all those go and we say, well, who am I really? And then you begin to realize through meditation and stilling the mind, uh, diminishing the identification with the ego, that we really are God dwells within us and we are a part of all that is. Philip, I, I wanted to ask a follow-up question. Yeah. Uh, life in that state of affairs, is it constant happiness? And also, uh, uh, when you die, what, what, what would be different? What would happen? Well, in, in long, long tradition, going back thousands of years, people have had the experience of self-realization. In Vedic literature, it's called samadhi, mm -hmm. where you lose the small self-identification and you feel yourself to be part of everything that is within that you also lose the sensation or the delusion of time and space and you are just pure consciousness so within that context death doesn't really exist because your consciousness is eternal and and uh uh, death just doesn't relate. Uh, Yogananda had a beautiful experience where he went in and out of the body during a, a deep meditation, in and out of the body of a soldier in World War One, and for a moment he felt, am I alive or am I dead? And very powerfully to him came the answer, what does light have to do with life and death? Because if he identified himself as a being of light, that didn't die or, or, or live. It just was. And so the, the, the movement of our egoic awareness toward that expanded consciousness is, is what the direction of self-realization. And then in that expanded consciousness, innately part of it is a sense of, of bliss. And so um, that's why so many swamis are, have a name that ends in Ananda, because Ananda is bliss, and it's that bliss that they're searching for. Very good. Um, tell us, 
most of our listeners are on a spiritual path and are dedicated to it. They've come from many different paths. Most of them, I'm sure, are familiar with Yogananda and his work, even if they're not followers. Um, you have a, a unique situation in in the Ananda communities. Most of us and our listeners, you know, are just integrated into the world and not in living in a spiritual community. And yours is not a monastic community. It's it's a householder oriented community and always has been. People have raised children. Uh, they've had outside jobs living in your communities. What have been the, the, the biggest challenges you've had with trying to, and you've done a remarkable job of successfully creating communities, which are not easy <laughs> to maintain. Um, what would have been the biggest challenges and how have you dealt with them? Well, we could answer that question on a lot of levels. First, let's start on the very basic uh, physical plane level where, you know, we we created this com- these communities from the ground up. We didn't have lots of money to deal with we uh, at our disposal. And so we had to find a way to purchase land, this land that we have about 800 acres uh, that we've mentioned in the Sierra Nevada foothills of California. And we had to find, we had to create jobs at first. There, It's a rural area, so there weren't, jobs available. We had to build homes. Most of the people in those days, we were just college grads. We didn't have a lot of practical experience. And so on that physical level, those were the beginning challenges. But then there comes other levels of how do we really develop a spiritual environment that fosters uh, higher consciousness, that allows people uh, in the context of family and jobs to have the time to meditate regularly and daily uh, and to be aware that, to keep in mind that even though on a certain level the lives we live are not that different from most people in the world, inwardly we're trying to have God and Guru at the core of them. So to create spiritually an environment uh, and an understanding where people can flourish and then I would say as Ananda expands over the years, uh, the challenge will be to keep the vibrancy and the vision and strong, keep a strong core, but then keep expanding. Because if you, like anything, if you try to freeze it in place, it dies. So we have to keep it ever-evolving, ever-fresh, ever-new vistas to challenge people, but at the same time, true to the core mission. So mm-hmm. I, I think those, I mean, that's one way to pick up the challenges. Mm-hmm. Do, do you uh, give, uh, how do you spread your teaching? Do, do you just depend upon people reading your literature and contacting you? Or do you go out and solicit, do you give introductory lectures on uh, the teachings of Yogananda, on the meditation, and bring people in that way? H- how do you spread? Well, we definitely um, try to uh, spread these teachings because they've been so valuable to us. So it's not passive. We we have all of our centers and all of the meditation groups that we have around the world have classes in basic meditation and some related topics. 
but we have a very large presence on the Internet, this uh, Ananda.org that Davey referred to earlier, uh, has several million visitors a year. And so we have a wide net that goes out, and then we have ways that people can, we have tens of thousands of pages of information that is freely available, including autobiography of a yogi, which is freely available on, uh, on the Internet from Ananda without any cost. But so we try to send, a, one might say, a beam of light out as widely as we possibly can. But much more importantly, I think, is that it isn't just passive and it isn't just um, kind of uh, without a heart. Ananda is really built around the concept that uh, we're just people working together, trying to find a spiritual life, a, a better way of living, a better way of thinking, whether we live in community or not. And so we work a lot with, really we're more like a big extended family than we are like an organization. Mm -hmm. So we really try to work individually with people and to foster whatever their needs are. Right. And we also, I should add, have a, a very big presence with online classes. This is, again, globally, where we're teaching actually in many different languages. And we have a very big Spanish ministry that, uh, where we teach uh, meditation in Spanish, and we have students from all over the world. In our centers in India, we're starting to teach online in many regional languages as well. So, and then, of course, all you mentioned, Dennis, uh, we have a plethora of wonderful books and recorded talks mm -hmm. from both Swami Kriyananda and other authors. Uh, yes, and we should mention that the uh, name of your uh, Nanda's publishing wing or arm is crystal clarity so people can correct people can correct. google that and and find your publications um i'm yeah. curious about uh, a, a phrase that you used uh, davy in in describing your work you said something about uh, or, or maybe it was jotish um the the outreach and uh communication has to be uh ever evolving now, one okay. of the one of the uh, features of Yogananda's life that was uh, struck me as I was working on uh, my biography of him was uh, the challenge of adapting these ancient teachings from India to a, a new world of you know Western life in uh, in a materialistic culture in the 1920s and 30s and 40s. Um, now, Ananda's been in existence for almost half a century now. You've been teaching for a few decades. I'm sure you've had to adapt the language and the teachings and, and many of the things you do as um, society changes. How is it different now than it might have been, say, in the 70s or 80s or 90s? And what what, what have been the main challenges you've had in adapting to you know different generations of Americans and mm -hmm. other people? Well, that's it's an interesting question, Phil. It, 
we're not only moving through time, but uh, we're moving through different cultures mm-hmm. also. And so we're moving through both space and time. And you have to talk slightly differently to everybody according to their understanding and their cultural background or their, you know, we're all locked into a certain mindset given the era that we're in. But the basic teachings have been the basic teachings for three, four, five thousand years. So you you have these basic teachings of deep meditation, which basically is just deep stillness and focus on one-pointed focus, focus uh, concentration, as Yogananda said, on God or on one of his qualities. And that's been taught for for thousands of years, but how you phrase that to an audience in 1960s in San Francisco might be quite different from how you phrase it to uh, uh, an audience in Chennai, India in in 2017. And so the phrasing might be different, but the concept is the same. Yogananda, one of the things that he told Swami Kriyananda to do was to edit. And then he told him, work like lightning, but don't change a word. And Kriyananda couldn't get his mind around that. How can I edit without changing a word? And finally, he realized that Yogananda was telling him, work like lightning, but don't change any of the concepts. Right. And so you have to be true to the concepts, but then... Uh, very creative in how you explain and perhaps apply those basic concepts. Right. I, and, I have, you know, go Bill, ahead. I, I want to just say uh, we had the opportunity to read your book, which will be coming out soon, the biography of Yogananda, and you did such a brilliant job. I don't think it, it's ever been done before, the depth of research, but... You know, Yogananda, even in his lifetime, was extraordinarily creative in expressing these teachings. You know, when you look at the topics that he uh, lectured on to tens of thousands of people across America, using Indian teachings to further American business techniques, you know, on and on like that, just... How to attract the ideal mate. Yeah, he was always saying, what's going to attract people? And Mm -hmm. and he wasn't afraid to go out there. And, you know, one of the challenges we faced in lecturing in India, which we've done for more than 10 years now on an annual basis, is at first we thought, here we are as Westerners. What right do we have to go Mm. out to Indians and teach? And Kriyananda, he passed away in 2013, we should mention, but at the time he was still with us, and he just said, don't think of yourself as Westerners or as Indians. You're disciples and students of Paramahansa Yogananda and share his teachings. Mm. And that was a tremendous help because that we could do. But even last uh, year when we were lecturing in India, some woman came up to me afterwards and she said, when I saw you walk on the stage and saw you were a white person, I almost left because I thought, what does she know? And then, he, But then she went on to say, but you know, I stayed and I listened to you both. You know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I have uh, one final question. 
uh, for, for either or both of you. And that is, uh, I noticed on your website, which I enjoyed very much, it's beautifully laid out, that a lot of what you teach is available online, even how to meditate, the basics, uh, without a teacher or uh, any advisor, just uh, you can get directly on the internet. Is it important if somebody really wants to pursue uh, spirituality through the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda that they connect uh, not only online, but with a living teacher that represents him? Well, it's certainly helpful. You know, there's so much information in many, many different fields that's available online. But if you want to become a good pianist, mm-hmm. you can get the basic idea online, but how much better it is to have a teacher that works with you individually. And it's the same with meditation, which one might say you're trying to get to a concert level of consciousness. And how much better it is to have uh, someone who can work with you, somebody who's been through some of the stages and steps that you're going through. So I would say start online, start however you can, with a book, with a friend, mm-hmm. anything. But if you're serious, it's good to, to have a, a teacher and a mentor. And you provide that through uh, an Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, we have, you can get the basics of how to meditate just without much follow-up. But then if you sign up for one of the classes, there are private instruction and, and support and, you know, questions and answers that are provided for you. So we uh, we really feel very strongly that uh, this is something that needs to be conveyed with a personal uh, attention behind it because that's the artistry of it. You know, anything has the science of it and the art of it. You can learn the science of it technically uh, from a book, but the real art of it, when you make it your own, where it becomes a part of your own life, that takes personal guidance. Um, Jyotish and Davey, tell me, um, when you've, you've recently published a, a new book called Touch of Joy, uh, it's not your first book by a long shot. Um, but tell us about it and, and where it fits in the uh, context of uh, all the publications Ananda has. Well, Davy and I, right after uh, Swami Kriyananda's death, I inherited, one might say, the mantle of leadership. So he named me as his spiritual successor. And so we, very soon after his passing, started a weekly blog where we have about uh, a page and a half on a different topic that comes out every week. I write one week, Davey writes the next week. And that reaches out now to about a little over 25,000 people on a weekly basis. And it's that by that means that we help uh, keep all of the dots connected throughout uh, not only the Ananda world, but anyone who might be interested. And so our first book of the collection of the blogs was called Touch of Light. The second book that has just come out is called Touch of Joy, and that's a collection of those weekly blogs. But we've also written, I've written a How to Meditate book that's sold over a quarter of a million copies, 
um, lessons in meditation. Uh, Davy's written two or three books, so we're authors other than that weekly blog. And Crystal Clarity Publications, as you mentioned, has not only all of Swami Kriyananda's books, but also books by other authors related to either Ananda or to Yogananda. And so we're part of a, of a group of writers that's trying to take these teachings of Yogananda's and, and, and uh, do them in creative, new ways that, that reach uh, people where it's important for them to be reached. And it's fun because we're uh, both Swami Kriyananda's books and other books are being translated in many, many languages. And to, uh, one of the things, uh, and in India now they're being translated in not only Hindi, Bengali, Tamil, many regional languages, but they're translating uh, the original autobiography. We've translated it into Hindi, but now this just delighted me. It's coming out in a Hindi Braille version. So mm-hmm. it, we're, we're really trying to obviously reach people where they are. Speaking of books, one last question. Um, I'm sure all of our listeners are familiar with Autobiography of a Yogi. Many of them have read it. Um, it's you know obviously a, a spiritual classic. Um, I have run into people over the years who were confused because there's a blue cover and there's the uh, more familiar uh, sort of ochre orange color, and they want to know the difference. Now, uh, your Ananda Crystal Clarity uh, publishes and distributes the uh, the blue cover. Explain the difference. Over the years, um, the SRF that originally had the autobiography, they began to introduce a number of editorial changes until there were several hundred editorial changes that in some cases affected what we feel were very important teachings. For instance, they took out uh, from the original autobiography of a yogi uh, Yogananda's insistence on uh, or, or talking about these spiritual communities. And we felt that over the years that those changes had accumulated so much of a differentiation between Yogananda's original message that it was really helpful to republish the original autobiography in the words that Yogananda had used at that time. And and so the blue cover autobiography of the yogi is a uh, a very complete and... and uh, really a reproduction of that original autobiography of a yogi that uh, Yogananda wrote and was published in 1946. Okay. Dennis, any other questions for our guest? Dennis? Have we lost Dennis? Oh, my goodness. Can you hear me, Phil? Now we can, yes. Okay. Yeah. So uh, technical stuff, but we got through it. I want to recommend three books for everybody listening to read. One is Autobiography of a Yogi. The other is Touch of Joy. And the third is uh, Phil Bo- Goldberg, uh, my co-author, <laughs> my, co- uh, my, my co-sponsor uh, uh, of this show and co-host, uh, 
uh, his book uh, on uh, the uh, biography of uh, uh, Paramahansa Yogananda. So read those three Which books, will, and I think your spirit will be might. out soon. And I'll, I'll <laughs> add to that. Uh, um, some of the sources I used were uh, books written by a few of uh, Yogananda's direct disciples, one of whom was Swami Kriyananda. So um, his books, his especially his sort of uh, memoir books and his, about his experiences with Yogananda are also available uh, from Crystal Clarity and they're uh, yet another angle into uh, this most important spiritual figure. And, and I would add too, if we have a minute, I think what Phil has done with the, auto, with the biography of Paramahansa Yogananda will be a and a remarkable contribution to uh, people appreciating Yogananda's life and work. So, um, Phil, we really thank you very deeply for the effort oh, you put into that. I'm honored that you said that. Thank you. Great. And I can tell you he's been working very diligently on it. And uh, <laughs> uh, congratulations, Phil. All right, and thank you so much, uh, uh, Jotish and Davey, for taking the time to come on today. It was a real pleasure. Uh, we've really enjoyed it. Thank you.